I got to tell you, this is, it's really interesting when we experience pain. It seems to be something that we avoid, but then when we get into it, we realize, wow, on the other side of the pain, a lot of good came out of this pain, even though the pain itself was horrible. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, sponsored by Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. It's equipping men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are. So in the 80s, it was all about bodybuilding, right? I mean, one of the favorite phrases in the 80s was how much you bench, bro. It's all about bench press. It's all about Arnold, all about us, Sylvester Stallone, all about these guys. But Budweiser realized that the 80s was this, this decade of uh, uh, the body, bodybuilding and all that, and narcissism. They came out with a poster, Body by Budweiser. And it had this big old fat guy I mean, he was probably my size now, but back then he looked fat. And he's sitting on a keg with his shirt off. And there were two sayings at the bottom. One poster said, no gut, no glory. (laughs) And the other one said, no pain, no pain. (laughs) And I just thought, but you know, I thought as, and I love that poster, you know, no pain, no pain. We, you know, a lot of guys had that hung in their college dorm rooms, you know, but as, as much as that was true, some of that mentality of the 80s and, you know, and the fun of the 80s and the colors of the 80s and the music of the 80s, we grew into these parents who were uh, what my, wa- my wife would call Disneyland dads, you know, or uh, participation trophy parents or helicopter moms or bulldozer dads who <clears throat> our whole goal is to protect our children from God help them, they may suffer. And it ruined... Our generation has ruined the generation below us because we've raised up a generation of children born in comfort. 
And now they're having to figure themselves out because they're realizing that comfort indeed is not king, but comfort is the enemy. And we have, we have to realize that in our country. We live in the most opulent uh, country in the most opulent time on planet Earth. And so we have to realize and we have to move back and say, okay, what really is truth here? And I believe that pain, our paradox, this is paradox number two in our paradox series, that pain actually does equal gain. That discipline actually is freedom. That suffering does lead to strength. And that's what we want to talk, this dichotomy, this paradox that says suffering really does. So let's, let's, I'm going to give a little quiz. I'm going to read some quotes to you. I want you to tell me where the quote comes from. How about this one? What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Who said that quote and when? Anybody know? Have you heard that quote before? Frederick Nietzsche, 1850s. How about this one? No pain, no gain. You'll never get this one. I'm going to give you the year this one came out, 1982. Who said it? Okay, Arnold is on a lot of posters, but actually it was Jane Fonda. (laughs) Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda said that, and Arnold copied it and made it into a poster. How about this one? Pain is weakness leaving the body. Who said that? The Marines. U.S. Marines said that. And actually, I read a website where they went into great detail that that's not biologically true. Well, of course it's not true. I mean, come on. Okay. I mean, it's... how about this one? Where'd this quote come from? The more you sweat in practice, the, more you ble- the less you bleed in battle. Who said that? Anybody have a time frame when that was said? Has anybody even heard that phrase before? You know what? That actually would be a great patent quote. He stole it from the Spartans. So that's an ancient, ancient quote. And so, you know, uh, I got to tell you, this is, it's really interesting when we experience pain. It seems to be something that we avoid, but then when we get into it, we realize, wow, on the other side of the pain... A lot of good came out of this pain, even though the pain itself was horrible. Uh, so we've been following, a lot have been following and praying for uh, Isaac and Nicole Kearns' son, Ethan, who's 17, is a Dayton High School junior who's battling cancer. And, uh, you know, I've sat with them in the hospital uh, three of the nights they were in Portland and just hanging out with them and just sitting there with them. And uh, the last time I got to hang out with Ethan for about four hours and Talking to him, it was really good. He's doing really, really good right now. But, but on Thanksgiving, Isaac wrote something on Facebook. They have a, a page called uh, Infinite Eight Ethan Kearns. So they've got all these, you can post Facebook stuff on there. And Isaac posted this, and I thought this was really interesting as it pertains to tonight. He said, now this is a guy who a month and a half ago stood right where I'm standing and spoke here. October 25th. He spoke here, and in a month, his son has developed cancer. Their whole life has changed in the last month. So realize, this guy a month ago stood right here, and tonight he's battling with his son for his life. And Isaac writes this, Happy Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for today? Today, I thank God for cancer. Now, I know that sounds strange, but hear me out. Before the school year started... Nicole and I, that's his wife, came to the realization that we only had two years of significant influence with our son Ethan before he graduated. I often prayed how I could draw closer to my son and that God would help me to be a better father to him. 
In these last three weeks, my son has been quite vulnerable, and in his vulnerability, he has trusted me to take care of his basic needs, and I will let you fill in the blank. As I have stepped in to meet those needs, I've fallen deeper in love with my son, and he has learned that he can trust me. Every day I pray for the destruction of every cancer cell in his body, as do most of us, all of us, but I also praise God for the catalyst that has drawn us closer together in love. So today I will thank you, say thank you to God for the suffering that had brought us closer together. Wow. Wow. What a message from a godly father and mother as they acknowledge the fact that in this horrible, horrible pain that no parent would ever wish upon their children, that God is somehow found in the middle of that. I just think it's a, a, a beautiful uh, comment about something that is ugly and heinous as cancer. So tonight I want to talk to you about another one of my life verses. Uh, I, I reflected on this series and I realized a lot of my life verses have to do with human suffering. I don't know if that's prophetic. I don't know what that means for my future. But uh, I realized that was, when I was a high school senior, I was searching uh, for Christ. The guy who actually ended up leading me to the Lord uh, started meeting with me once a week through my senior year of high school. And I, was, I worshipped sports at the time. I didn't realize I worshipped sports, specifically football, because you don't think... You don't realize you worship something until you actually worship the one true living God. You realize, oh man, I had a problem back there. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to consider Christianity, it better have some verses about sports, because if it doesn't relate to sports, then it will never relate to me. So, in my non-Christian quest, I found this verse, which is the verse tonight. And and I've often reflected on this verse. I've actually used this verse in a lot of ways, as some somebody said earlier, as my compass. And uh, I want to talk to you about this verse in the Bible that is very dear to my heart, again, as it was two weeks ago. And I think it will help us to understand this paradox of no pain, no gain. And so you need to realize tonight we're going to talk about forsaking immediate comfort for ultimate gain. So I'm going to challenge us to forsake immediate comfort for ultimate gain. So what do I, what do I mean by ultimate gain? What do I mean by that? What does gain mean? What does that mean to me? To me, it means three things. It means becoming the man on earth that God in heaven designed you to be. So don't you want, I mean, I think every man wants to live out the life that has been designed for them, right? I mean, all of us bring something totally unique to the table. It's, it's really beautiful. I am really stoked to be who I am. I mean, I know my strengths. I've got about three. I know my weaknesses, and I love having guys like you around me who are strong where I'm weak. It's just really beautiful. The church is the most diverse organism on the planet. I mean, I would never hang out with most of you guys in real life, and I guarantee you would hate my guts if it wasn't for Jesus. And so this is really, really cool that we can live in this realm, right? And so I want to be the guy that God created me to be. I don't want to be the guy that God created Gabe to be. That's Gabe's job. I celebrate that, right? So that's the number one thing. I, I want to be able to, so when I think of gain, I, I want to gain the man that God has called me to be. Number two, I want to manage my time, my talents, and my resources well on earth. In other words, I want, God has given me a life to steward or to manage. And I want to manage every breath I have on this planet well. I don't want to get to heaven and go, God say, well, Jim, it looks like you spent... 17.8 years of your life watching Netflix. Come on in, slacker. I don't want God to say that to me. 
I want to spend every second well. I want to spend every dollar well. I want to spend every one of my gifts, talents, and abilities well according to how God gave them to me. The last thing is this. I want to experience eternal life in heaven after crossing over. I'm going to die someday. And I want to experience that. So that gain, I, want to, I, want to, I'm, I know I'm going to heaven, so I'm excited about that. It's not a big factor for me right now, because I know I'm going to go to heaven someday, but part of that gain to me is an eternal heaven with Jesus. So we're going to look tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 through 27. And if this does not get your blood pumping tonight, I don't know, you may not be alive. <laughs> this is such a great passage of scripture for men. So Father, thanks for this time. <coughs> I thank you for these men. Uh, sacrificing time with their wives, with their families, to be here tonight, to grow, to understand who they are in you better, to, to make an investment, not only in you, but in your kingdom. <clears throat> I pray that you would help me to deliver the message you have uh, acutely, accurately, uh, with passion and truth, with grace and truth. And God, that you would move me out of the way and that you would be the one remembered tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I, I use the New American Standard Version, 1995 version. You've got to say that now because Bibles are getting so weirdly translated. So uh, it says this, everyone, this is the Apostle Paul, he said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So guys, I got to tell you, so we were in Cabo in 2000 and I can't remember the year. It was our 25th wedding anniversary. We went down, we took all the kids down and we had, uh, Darby was dating his now wife and uh, Colton brought his best friend and we decided we would have a fishing derby. So we found some sweet deal, and we rented two boats. Two boats. We divided the family up into two teams. I don't know how we afforded this looking back. We must have had some bad credit card, Ted, back then. And we went out into Cabo fishing, fishing, and the goal was who would catch the biggest fish. And so my boat won, of course, because I would never lose to my wife. But we won because my son Darby, or James, hooked a marlin. Now, in, in, in Cabo, they fish marlin all year round. It's really a, a sad fishery in a lot of ways because they potentially could kill marlin all year round. So I, I'm a big fan of not killing the marlin, but catch them and release them, and then just keep catching them so the fishery stays strong. But, but what happens if you're a Mexican captain, you make money off of tips. You get tips when you catch fish. So they really want you to catch fish. So when a marlin comes in, they'll take live bait and they'll throw it out there, and they, they realize that some gringo who probably has no idea what they're doing is off the pole. They want to make sure that they can hook that fish, that they can land that fish. So what will happen, I believe, is they will let that marlin swallow that fish whole to guarantee a hook and a reel in and to land that fish. So sure enough, we see a marlin. He throws out the bait. We hook it. And James is like, man, it's not. It was a smaller marlin, but it wasn't fighting very well. And I saw the marlin come out of the water. I go, what is going on? Its guts were literally hanging out of its mouth. He swallowed that bait everything about the bait and as he fought the fish he pulled and that hook just brought the guts out of that fish and he reeled in a dead fish and i think that we in america have bought the lie that comfort is king hook line and sinker 
I believe that we have, we have like that Marlin in the story, we have bought the line that comfort is king, hook, line, and sinker. Have you ever heard of this phrase, hook, line, and sinker? Do you know where it came from? It, it came about, you do, Dan? It came about in the 1850s, and it, it literally means to, and I'm going to make sure I get this right, it literally means to accept something, listen to this, without hesitation or reservation. And I think we in America, without hesitation or reservation, have believed the lie that comfort is king. We've swallowed it whole. It is not truth. It is not in the Bible. It is not reality. In nature, it does not matter. It does not count. But we, as American men, have bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker, that if I do not have a heating steering wheel, my life will not be complete. If I have to get out and lock my four-wheel drive hubs, somehow I have been done an injustice. I should just have to push a button. We have fallen so far because we've bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker, that as long as life is comfortable, life is good. And I am telling you that that is not true. It's not true in the Bible. It's not true in Jesus' life. And it's not true in reality. It is not true. I had a walk-up song tonight, and somehow we missed it. But the walk-up song, and I, I need some young guys to help me, man. Maybe Dan, maybe Matt, maybe you guys can help me, Cody. But the law, I picked a song by a guy named Lecrae. Anybody know who Lecrae is? He's a Christian rapper. I mean, he's actually legit. And he has a song, when I was coaching at McMinnville High School, I'd pray, play Christian rap, rock and rap, or what I call it rap, you would probably call it R&B, in the weight room, and nobody listens to the words. I was just preaching the gospel through weightlifting. But he has a song called Go Hard. Uh, no, it's okay. I'm just going to read it. Go hard. I forgot to even tell you. I didn't know anybody saw it. So go hard. Here's a couple of the lyrics from this song. If you don't, if he said this, listen to this challenge from Lecrae. If you didn't know Christ, would your life look the same? Can they tell you value Jesus by the way you rep his name? Man, what's the point of living if I'm living for myself? Lord, empty out my life before I put you on the shelf. So for God, I go hard. It's such a great song. Even the white guys will like it. He is. This guy would be a famous rapper if he wasn't a Christian. He, he, becoming a Christian, he surrendered a phenomenal career. Like, I would put him on the level of Eminem. Like, he's that good. He's that good. Eminem's really good, by the way, and I'm not a uh, fan of Eminem. But you've got to recognize talent. So let's dive into suffering tonight. And look at why we must forsake immediate comfort to obtain ultimate gain. In verse 25, very, very simple message tonight. He says this, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict chaining. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So we have this crown that we are pursuing. So we forsake immediate comfort for ultimate gain by going into, listen to this, strict chaining. Spiritual training. And I know this is hard for guys. Strict spiritual training to become the man that I had fun with this part. That God created you to be, that your wife prays for you to be, and that your dog already thinks you are. So that that's the guy you want to be. You want to be that guy. We go into strict spiritual training. Listen to what 1 Timothy 4, 7 says. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding the promise for, for the present time and the life to come. So when I, when I say the phrase, we're going to have some 
interaction here. When I talk about godly training, what does that mean to you? What is godly training to you? Just throw some things out. What is godly training? Bible reading. Bible reading. Kurt, yep, thank you. What else? Prayer. Prayer. Thank you. What? Sean? Bible, Bible reading? Yes. Bible study? Yes. Both of those things. What else? Fasting? Fasting. Yes. What else? Self something. Self discipline, self control, absolutely. Serving, yes. What else? There's a lot, right? Giving could be one, serving is one, fasting. These are all great things. These are all great things. So we go into spiritual training. So when you train, how often do you train? Like, have you watched any of the Rocky movies? You know you train a lot, right? You train all the time. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul wrote, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, though, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporal, what is unseen is eternal. So yes, do I physically train? Yes, I owe my body four days a week of physical training because I am a pencil pusher. I sit in front of a computer all the day. I don't climb poles. I don't build houses. I pencil, I pencil push. I tap on keys. So I have to do something to build my body, right? Some of you guys, you do that as your career. So my question for you is, what do you do for your spirit? What do you do to build your soul every day? This is part of it, right? Nobody said fellowship or Christian community. Huge part of spiritual training, right? Some of you are here tonight, and it was not easy getting here. You left children, you left wives, you left family to be here. You made a sacrifice because why? You're training spiritually to be here. And some of you are eating a whole lot of donuts. But that's a whole other story. So part of training is shedding things that don't belong, right? That's why we train, right? Hebrews 12, 1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. So part of training is letting go of these things so we can run this race. So I would encourage you all that when we come to spitting this out, the hook, line, and sinker, spitting it out, terminology for fishing is to throw it, to throw this out, to throw this away, we have to start and discipline our lives for spiritual training. And that comes with the things that were mentioned earlier. And, and I, I know that it's really easy to say, oh, you're being legalistic. But I firmly believe that the men who practice spiritual disciplines by spiritual training are the strongest believers and the best men I know. So let's so strict training is vital to forsaking the immediate for the ultimate. But verse 26 kind of hones in even more on this thing. So look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. This is a really cool verse to me. I'm not a fighter. I've never, uh, I got in a couple fights when I was a little kid. I usually, nobody really wanted to ever fight me. So I was kind of the guy that, you know, I just was the bodyguard for everybody. All the, all the nerdy kids, I was their bodyguard type of thing. But I, this, this, I love this verse, though, because I love to watch like MMA and different things like this. And it always astounds me the strategy behind two equal guys and one, one guy comes out ahead. Oftentimes it's strategy. And so we forsake immediate comfort for ultimate gain by focusing, our, this is critical here, guys, by focusing our energy in the right direction. 
focusing this finite thing called energy in the right direction. We have limited time. We have limited resources, especially if you're in the bubble raising family. Your time is incredibly limited. You cannot waste time punching the air. You have to be very strategic about your purpose and the purpose of your punches and where you're throwing them and why. My kids are out of the house now. I have a lot more freedom to do things as long as I'm staying true to the call that God has given me. But those of you guys in your home, you are in the stress bubble, which means you have a very thin, tiny window of opportunity to do this stuff. Your energy is finite, so spend it wisely. I love what Paul said in Philippians. He said, one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and pressing on towards what is ahead. 2 Timothy 4.6, Paul also said at the end of his life, I've been poured out like a drink offering. He acknowledged that his resources, his energy, this was coming to an end. He had been poured out. He was sensing his life thinning. And I thought about this. You can only beat the air so long. This is pretty good right here. You can only beat the air so long before the air starts beating you. Think about that for a second. You may say, oh, come on, that's not true. Oh, really? Have you heard of the Thrilla in Manila? Anybody heard of the Thrilla in Manila? There's a movie that just came out. You need to go watch it. It's called Big George Foreman. George Foreman is one of my heroes. I read his book by George. Any guy that names all six of his men, boy and girl children, George, that guy has a book worth reading. He went and fought Muhammad Ali in 1974. He was a heavyweight champion of the world. He was a scary monster. George Foreman, before he was a Christian, was a killer. He was frightening. He went and then he fought Cassius Clay, turned Muslim, who changed his name to Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali's talking smack and egging him on the whole time and using, he, 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 he would you know, sting, you know, fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee type of thing, and he just had Foreman going because Foreman had no, no, no sense of humor before he was a Christian. He went down into the Republic of the Congo on October 30th, 1974, and in George Foreman's book, by George, George Foreman swears he was drugged. Thus, after the fight was over, the fight was termed rope-a-dope. So the, before the fight, it was Thrilla in, the Manila, in Manila, but after the fight, it was called the rope-a-dope because what Muhammad Ali did is he danced all and he juked and he, he, he kept dodging all of Foreman's punches and Foreman punched himself silly. He, by punching the air, he wore himself out. Muhammad Ali went after him and knocked him out in the eighth round. The knockout so emotionally affected George Foreman that three years later, he had a miraculous experience with God. He gave his life to Jesus and became a preacher. He ended up coming back at age 45 because he was bankrupted by his financial manager and good friend. He won the heavyweight championship back as the oldest heavyweight to ever win a championship in boxing. And he, he, George Foreman's one of my heroes. But the George Foreman who created the George Foreman Grill and who won the heavyweight champion at age 45, was a different George Foreman than the George Foreman who was defeated in the Thrilla in Manila rope-a-dope. But George Foreman punched himself out in Manila. He punched himself out because he did not strategically place his punches at the right time in the right location, and Muhammad Ali did, and Muhammad Ali became the next champion, which is what made Muhammad Ali so special. He was probably the smartest boxer, him and Sugar Ray Leonard, probably to ever live. So when it comes to our faith, 
Here's what I have to say to you. Stay in your lane, bro. You have limited time. You have limited resources. Do not waste your time. You know, it's really funny. 99% of the guys I talk to have struggled with pornography. The other 1% are, are liars, or they died. And it's really interesting to me. I think pornography is a great sin. Don't get me wrong. But I think the greater sin in pornography is a complete and total waste of time. It's a waste of a life. It's, it's like scrolling Facebook. These things waste your life. You have limited time. Why spend it doing this? My kids, so we got videos right now. We've got a video going viral right now and, and all this stuff. And, and, I'm, and my son, we were with my son Colton two days ago in Kona. And he's like, Dad, you, you need to post differently on Facebook or on Instagram. I go, can I tell you something, Colton? You won't get mad at me? He goes, what? I go, I don't even have Instagram. I don't have Instagram. I don't have TikTok. He goes, what? You have 70,000 followers on Instagram. You have $125,000 on, on TikTok. I go, yeah, but they're total waste of time. And we're targeting people that apparently have a lot of time to waste because I don't, I don't have time to waste on those things because I realize I have limited amount of punches to throw. So throw them strategically, guys. So what are the things in your life that are wasting your life, causing you to get out of your lane? That's serious business because a lot of us, if we just stop wasting time, we'd have a lot more time to spend. Have you thought of that? We're going, man, why am I so tired? I'm so busy. Well, busy is, a, don't, busy is a sin. Busy, the last two weeks, a lot of you have asked me how I'm doing. And I've said, I'm busy, Gabe, and I'm not bragging about it. I'm repenting of it. Because I want to live a full life. A full life is biblical. A busy life is sin. A busy life means I'm punching air. I'm pulling a George Foreman. Thank God George learned from that, right? I mean, it's good to see a big guy win it all, right, Ryan? Right? Come on, get those... He was 390 when he started. Well, Brian, you're way smart now, but you know, it's big guys getting up there. Give those little skinny guys pounding them. Okay, no, man, just kidding, just kidding. Okay, here we go. Let's continue here. One more thing I want to share with you tonight before you get into Bible study. These things don't just happen. If you're hearing me, to forsake immediate comfort for ultimate gain does not just happen. You have to be strategic. And 99% of people I talk to have no idea what strategic means. I did not know what strategic meant until two years ago. Okay? What you think is strategic probably is not strategic. And I'm going to give you an example. So look at here. Paul says, verse 27, he says, No, I beat my body. Some of your Bibles say discipline. Anybody here with an, with an American Standard Version? American Standard Version? Oh, just not New American Standard. American Standard. So New American Standard says, I beat my body. American Standard says, I buffet my body. Thank you, Jesus. Now, my wife says it actually says buffet. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it says buffet. Let's go to Izzy's. Like, it says buffet. But if, but if your Bible, if you think it says buffet or beat or discipline, okay, let's go with that, okay? I beat my body, and I make it my slave... So that when I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So I forsake the immediate. I spit. I throw the hook, line, and sinker that I've swallowed. I forsake the immediate comfort for ultimate gain by strategically... Now listen to me. And there's some guys here I wish were here tonight to hear this. Strategically fighting to win the war, not the battles. Almost everybody in this room fights to win the battles. And you're losing the war. 
A tact, military guys love to talk about being tactical. 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 They talk about being tactical because they have no idea about strategy. Because somebody else is pulling the strategy strings and they're going in crushing and being awesome heroes with their tactics. So for years, I thought being tactical was being strategic. They are not the same. Here's an example. In September, I'm releasing a book called Dialed In. Dialed In is, has 20 qualifications of a biblical or spiritual leader, which should be the goal of every one of us, should be the goal to have all of those 20 qualifications in hand. So when I live my life as a follower of Jesus, I'm always thinking, okay, I want to be faithful. I want to be a leader. I want to be vigilant. I want to be moderate. I want to be, I want to be all these things, right? So I don't come to a situation to go, okay, what am I going to do in this situation here in front of me? I don't worry about what's in front of me because I already know what's out there. The big picture says, hey, there's these 20 things that I strive for as I strive for Jesus, right? This is what I'm talking about. We tend to live our lives right in front of us. We tend to, what we tend to do is we, said that, we say this. We say, I want to set a goal in January to do this. A New Year's resolution. And those are great things, and I do that every year. But that's a tactical decision. A strategic decision is, <clears throat> I'm looking at the end of my life. I've written a eulogy. I've written an obituary. My own. This is true. I have. I have a vision that I've written. It's true. I have. And I'm going to follow that vision out there. And because that vision out there is saying, I've got a problem here, I'm going to fix the problem here to get to the thing out there. That is strategy. This is tactic. Does this make sense? We have to be very strategic about our lives. We have to see the end of it. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, hey, when I have preached to others, I may not be disqualified for the prize. Listen, forsaking the immediate for the ultimate is about seeing the end of the war and not just the battles. How many of you are excited for this Napoleon movie coming out? Oh, baby, there's a strategy guy. Except once. Galatians says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 1 Peter 1.13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So this summer, August 19th, I married my son James to my beautiful daughter-in-law, Tatiana. And at the wedding, as I do at every wedding, there's a time where I read them a pledge. The pledge is the part where they say, I do or I will. So here's what I read to James. I said, James, do you promise to have Tatiana to be your wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Do you promise to love her, to comfort her, to honor her, to tactically love her, tactically comfort her, tactically honor her, right? Tactically. And keep her in sickness and health, forsaking all others, so long as you both shall live strategically. You hear what I'm saying? strategically, will you do this as long as you both shall live? If so, say I do. And that I do should be the most powerful two words a man ever says. A powerful statement is coming right now, so don't forget, don't miss this. I know Seth won't. He's always there ready. Never underestimate the compounding effect of routinely forsaking the immediate for the ultimate. There is a compounding effect some of you, you are the, you know, you guys realize 
You are the product tonight. You're sitting here. You're not, you are where you are tonight. You're not here by accident. Like in this place, you're, where you are in this place in your life right now, I don't know where you are. You're all in different places, right? But wherever you are, you're not here by accident. You are here because of the compounding effects of the things that you have said no to and the things you should have said no to. So, so we come in the door, we're all broken. I'm broken. We're all broken. We come in the door with broken stuff. And that stuff didn't break overnight. That stuff took decision after decision, day after day, month after month, year after year, to, to break. Because there are things that we should have said no to and didn't, right? Or should have said no to and couldn't. And, and they've compounded. And then once they compound, they get to a breaking point. And a lot of times they're not reversible. And especially in relationships. And I'm not saying that for guilt and shame. I'm saying... I'm saying, guys, I'm saying we have to realize the power of these little decisions compounding over the course of a lifetime. I was in the gym. You were in there, in the gym, Dan. The same day you were in there, I was in there. And I'm just sucking air like a stuck pig doing these workouts. And Dave Faxon came over, who's my dear friend, and he's the owner of Excel Fitness. Anyway, Dave came over, and I go, dude, this is brutal. He looked at me, he looked up and down. He goes, yeah. If being fit was easy, everybody would be fit, Jim. He walked away. I'm like, Dave Faxon, you suck. Because <laughs> I know exactly what he was saying. I know exactly what he was saying. And that's why he's a dear friend, because he says it. So in the Greek era, in Hellenistic culture, we're talking that before Jesus, there was a phrase. I want to close with this. I saved this to the end on purpose. The phrase was called a strategos. Does anybody know what a strategos is? Anybody heard that phrase before? Okay, a strategos was what we now call a military admiral or a general. It's the highest-ranking military official. And their role was to stay far enough back from the battle to watch how the battle transpired so they could move the pieces to win the battle. But they were not thinking about winning the battle down here. They were thinking about winning this battle to win that war. Thus, the strategos. That's where we get the word strategy. So as we as men look at our lives and say, hey, I want to forsake the immediate comfort. I want to throw the hook, line, and sinker that I've swallowed. I want to forsake immediate comfort for ultimate gain. We have to look beyond our heated steering wheels. Our Man, I, have a, I was at a friend's house recently. He had a heated, heated toilet seat. It, and it was computer generated. It sprayed underneath and all that. It was awesome. No toilet paper. You need to just sit down. Awesome. But we have, to see behind, we have to see beyond that and realize the line in that, the lie in that and look strategically at our lives and say, listen, nothing ever got strong by comfort. Things get strong through suffering, through resilience, through pain, and through trials. And so I'm hoping that tonight you guys are going to walk away going, hey, I want to do that. So I want to challenge you tonight. We have the new year coming. Do you have a month? The month of December is when I plan for my life. I, I take my life that I've seen strategically, and I start to get tactical about the next year of my life. And so I want to ask you a question. If you look at January of 2024, is there one thing that you can do, one thing to purposely strain, suffer, cause resistance? Is there one thing in your life that you can do to suffer, 
or maybe that's a poor word choice, to strain spiritually, socially, mentally, or spiritually? Is there something that you can do? Oh, I, I never read my Bible. Well, I'm going to challenge you to read your Bible every day, or at least five days a week. I'm going to challenge you. You need to strain spiritually. Make It's hard. Maybe you're overweight. You need to strain physically. Maybe you're mentally soft, and you need to start reading some books. Maybe you need to read a book a month. I don't know for you what it is. But I'm going to challenge you in 2024 to do something to suffer or to stretch is probably a better word, yourself. And then what I want you to think about this. I want you to go, I want to look at January 24th or 2024. So just kind of go there right now in your mind and think about that. What can I do? What one thing can I do? And then I want you to fast forward to December 1st, 2024. What will your life look like in 12 months if you do that thing? What will your life look like for you personally? And really think about that. And here's the thing. Nobody cares. Maybe your wife cares. Nobody cares about what you're going to decide. But God, who made you, and hopefully you. So I want to challenge you to move beyond this no pain, no no pain, no pain. Comfort is king. And I want you to move beyond that and to challenge yourself to become a better version than you already are. Hey guys, we're coming up to the end of the year. Did you know that Men in the Arena is a crowdfunded, faith-based, 501c organization? We receive approximately 90% of our operating budget income from our financial champions. At the end of this year, would you please consider donating a one-time gift or becoming one of our monthly financial champions to Men in the Arena? God bless you, and until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man.